Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. This morning, I started talking to you about the importance of knowing God's will. So I want us to read our text that we took this morning and just kind of briefly go over what I said real quick uh, from this morning and then add to this. In Acts 22, this is the the account Paul was giving to the Roman uh, commander there in Jerusalem when the Jews had taken him by force and were trying to kill him. The commander of of the garrison came in and rescued him and Paul requested an opportunity uh, to talk to the people, and so he began to tell the, the crowd there about his conversion and how he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus, and then how the Lord sent him on into Damascus. But then he sent uh, a disciple to him by the name of Ananias, and it says that a certain, this is in verse 12, a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. We talked this morning about the fact that this is not just true for the apostle Paul, it's true for all of us. God has chosen all of us, maybe not to be apostles, but he's still chosen us. He's chosen us uh, to be a part of his family. He's chosen us to, uh, to have a call upon our lives. All of us are called to do something for the Lord. And he says, the, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will. Amen. And that you should see him and hear the voice of his mouth. So we found out that number one, that God wants you to know his will for his life. If you don't know his will for, his, for your life, it's not because God is keeping it from you. He wants you to know his will. And we talked about three things in connection for that. Number one, obviously God has a plan for your life. Amen. We found out that God willed to create you. You were not an accident. You weren't something that just happened. God had a plan and he willed for you to come into existence. When he created you, he created you according to his own will. And so he has a plan for your life. And uh, we found out, secondly, that knowing and following God's plan for your life is the most important thing in life. How tragic it would be to go through life, to live and die and stand before the Lord and to have never even known what his purpose for you was. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians live and die and they they just kind of go through a life wondering where, you know, God's plan is. And I kind of... uh, 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 related to, uh, you know, the old pinball machines, you know, you pulled the, th- uh, the, uh, plunger back and shoot the ball up and it just kind of bounces off. Some people go through life and they just kind of bounce off everything that happens in life, never really knowing what their purpose is. They go from one thing to another. That's not the way God planned you. He has a plan for your life and knowing and following that plan is the most important thing you can ever do. Find out. You say, well, I'm not sure what God's plan is. Well, God's not keeping it from you. There's a way to know God's plan and he's not made it difficult. It is not difficult to know the plan of God. It is not difficult to know the will of God. 
But it doesn't, it doesn't come by looking at natural things, pursuing natural things. If you just pursue what your flesh wants to do all of your life, you'll never get into the will of God. Amen. Knowing and following that plan is the most important thing. And God is not hiding it from you. Amen. He's not hiding it from you. Now we found out from Romans chapter 12 that in order to know the good and perfect and acceptable and perfect will of God, it requires renewing your mind. Romans 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? That means get into the Bible and get God's word into you. Get your mind thinking in line with the word. And the word of God, when you feed on it, if you, if you feed on it enthusiastically and, and with a pure heart, it will drive things that are contrary to the word out of your life. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's an ongoing process. We are to continually feed on the word of God and like, the, and like Romans 12 says, renew our mind. And as we renew our mind to begin to think like God thinks and see what he see, sees and value what he values, then we begin to see what his plan is. You cannot discern the will of God for your life without getting into the word. Prayer alone won't do it. Now, prayer is important, but prayer alone will not do it. The foundation is the word of God. Prayer in following his plan in light of that word will then bring illumination to you, but nothing takes the place of getting into the word of God for yourself. And if you only read the Bible when you come to church, you are not getting it done. (laughs) That's just all there is to it. That's not enough. Amen. Anybody can believe God and be excited in church. (laughs) Not everybody is, but everybody can be. It's easy. But getting by yourself, alone with the Lord, and just opening his word, oh, glory to God, there's no no replacement for that. Now, I said this this morning, that a lot of times people have complained because they go to the Bible, and the Bible seems to be cold and sort of not exciting and sort of uh, not inspiring, and it's sort of like, this is so boring. You know, I want to know things from the word, but I just can't get through this. It just seems like I'm plodding along. Well, Stay persistent. Ask God, Lord, speak to me from your word. Show me, reveal your plan to me out of this word. And if you'll continue to feed on the word in faith. Remember what James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. Well, that would be wisdom concerning the word, concerning his will for your life. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to everybody, including you liberally, not stinging, not stingingly, I don't know if that's a word, but not, not, but, but abundantly. He will give you liberally the wisdom you need. And he says that he will not criticize you, upbraid you, or chastise you when you're seeking his plan. He'll give you his will and his wisdom liberally. He said, but ask in faith. So if you, if you go to the Lord tomorrow and open his Bible, the, the word of God and feed on it for 15 minutes and then get distracted and say, well, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, you weren't in faith. Not that you didn't get anything, you weren't in faith. You weren't in faith by your attitude. Amen. Begin to believe God when you read the Bible. Amen. So we talked about that this morning. So tonight I want to talk about the fact that, and here's where a lot of people really miss it, and this is why renewing your mind with the word is so important, 
is when it comes to seeking God's will for your life, the most important aspects of your life and the most important aspects of God's will for your life have already been revealed to you in the Bible. A lot of people are praying about things they don't need to pray about. Asking God for direction about things they don't even need to ask because the word clearly tells us what his will for us is in a, in a lot of, to a large degree. Amen. So I've got uh, nine things here that it's obvious that it's the will of God for. And uh, the first one is salvation. Now, everybody knows that, you would think. Obviously, it's the will of God for you to be saved because the Bible says God's not willing that any be lost or perish. And and, in 1 Timothy, it says God uh, uh, wants everyone. It's the will of God for every man to be saved. So we know salvation is the will of God. Well, that's that's a no-brainer. But also, not only salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the will of God. Now, you, you, draw, you lose a lot of people when you start talking like that. A lot of people don't know that. Go with me to, uh, to Luke 24. Luke 24. And for a lot of you, this is, is uh, uh, you know, going over things that, that you know, rehearsing things that you know, but not everybody knows. And a lot of people know things, but... but they know it up here, but they've never acted on it. Amen. There are people who sit in spirit-filled churches every Sunday where the baptism with the Holy Spirit is taught and ministered and encouraged and believed and all of those things, and they sit here and they never are filled with the Spirit. Now, why in the world? I'm talking about saved people. Why in the world would a saved person come to church and see from the Bible what belongs to them and just say, no, I don't think I want that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's prejudice, religious prejudice. In uh, uh, Luke 24, the, the last chapter here, the last part of this chapter is part of the Great Commission. Now, most people, most evangelicals, When they think of the Great Commission, we're going to read the Great Commission. Most evangelicals like to go to Matthew chapter 28. Now, the reason they like to go to Matthew 28, because it's nice and clean. There's not any of that messy stuff in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, go, you know, and preach the gospel, you know, and make disciples of all nations and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. Oh, that's really wonderful. That's nice and clean and peppy and, and uh, doesn't have all of, that, all of that messy stuff that's in Mark. You know, the casting out devils and the speaking with new tongues. They don't like to hear that stuff. Well, Jesus said all of that. Matthew's version of the, of, the great com- of the Great Commission was what the Spirit of God inspired Matthew to share about what Jesus said. But he said more than that. He said all the stuff that he inspired Mark to share. But because people are prejudiced, they don't, they don't, we don't want to get that, we don't want to let that stuff into our church. Casting out devils, the very idea. Well, you know, if, If Jesus cast out devils, it shouldn't be offensive to us. Somebody said, yeah, but that was back then. Things were different. Remember when Jesus cast the unclean spirits out of people? Many times it said the madman of Gadara, you know, the the spirit said, uh, do not send us into the abyss. And Jesus didn't send them into the abyss. He sent them into the swine. 
And of course, the swine immediately ran down the, the, the steep hill and dr- jumped off the cliff and, and, and were killed. You know, swine have more sense than people do. Even pigs won't let demon spirits live in them, but people will. <laughs> well, where did those spirits go when they came out of the spine? They went back into the community and got back into people again. And where, where are those demon spirits now? They're still there. Well, if there were demons in Galilee, there are demons in Georgia. If there are demons in Macedonia, there are demons in Micanopy. There are demons in Achaia, there are demons in Alachua. Amen, nothing has changed. And Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out devils, demons. Speak with new tongues, lay hands on the sick. He even said, Take up serpents. Now, you lose, you lose most Pentecostals when you even talk about that. <laughs> People get nervous. Well, there's an explanation from the word of God. But we're looking at Luke's version of this. And Luke said something that neither Matthew nor Mark really touched on. And this is part of the same conversation Jesus had. This was the, the great commission. This was Jesus' final words to the church. In verse 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Notice the phrase, promise of my father. Notice the phrase, tarry in the city of Jerusalem. And notice the phrase, endued with power from on high. Now go over to the book of Acts and look at the first chapter. And this is just another version. There's really four versions of the Great Commission. This is another telling of the story. In uh, Acts 1, verse 4, it says, being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Well, we just heard that. Isn't that right? Luke 24. Not to to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. We just noticed that. And then uh, in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He said, you'll be endued with power from on high. So this is the same event, but notice... In connection with this, in verse five, it said, for or therefore John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, then receiving the Holy Spirit, being endued with power from on high, receiving the promise of the Father is also called being baptized with the Spirit. And it's not only called being baptized with the Spirit because they were told to wait there. And after uh, 10 days in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with those tongues that Mark talked about. Not Mark Bauer, Mark the, 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 the writer of the, of, the, of the book of Mark. Amen. He said, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You would think that that would be more than enough evidence for the whole church world to go, Jesus said it, let's have it. But most of the church world won't say that. Because there's been so much preaching against it, even though it's clearly in the Bible, there's been so much preaching against it, there's, there's so much prejudice against it. Like I said, most evangelicals, they won't even read Mark's 
Great Commission or Luke's Great Commission or the book of Acts Great Commission. They're only going to read Matthew because it's nice and pleasant. Doesn't stir anybody up, doesn't cause any trouble in the church. Well, the problem is there's a lot of trouble in the church because God's not happy with it when we don't have what God said we should have. I've noticed this, you know, since, since the advent of Facebook, social media, you know, most of us are in contact with people maybe we haven't talked to in a long, long time. And, and I know some old friends, you know, from the old days, uh, you know, that I'm, that I'm in contact with a little bit on Facebook. Uh, every now and then something comes up, not very often, but if it ever comes up with speaking in tongues, everybody's against it. Even unsaved people who don't know the Bible. I mean, I, I know people who've never been to church, never been taught the Bible, never lived for God. Their parents didn't take them to church. Their grandparents didn't know God. They know nothing about it. But when you start talking about speaking in tongues, they all think you're crazy. Yeah, that, that, there's a prejudice in our religious world and in our collective society against this experience. In fact, the new uh, judge that's been nominated to the, to the Supreme Court, the word is, I haven't checked it out, but, but apparently it's true. She is reportedly a charismatic Catholic. And I've already seen things on social media from the, from the uh, crazy elites in this world that drive uh, social consciousness and ideas among men, and they're criticizing her as one of those persons who speaks in tongues, like that's insane. Well, if it's insane, why did Jesus promote it? Telling you, this is the will of God for you. This is the will of God for every Christian. It's right here in black and white and even in red. <laughs> Amen. It's the will of God that you be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and have this experience of speaking with other tongues. Well, amen, it is. Glory to God. And I'll say this, there's not one verse of scripture in the Bible that says it's not for today. Not one, not one, not one. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that's, that's for us. Everybody likes that in our church. Go with me, let me tell you something else, the will of God. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. You don't have to pray about this one either. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm mindful of our crowd tonight, the demographics of the, of the congregation. Verse number one, finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Well, that would be the will of God. We're talking about what the will of God is for you. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification and holiness is the will of God. Well, praise the Lord. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. We live in a very immoral world. And the things that are in the world always tries to creep into the church. And unfortunately, some people in the church just welcome it in. <clears throat> Amen. That ought not to be. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, his own body. Not in passion of lust, 
like the Gentiles who do not know God. We ought not be trying to uh, behave like Hollywood or behave like our neighbors or other Christians sometimes. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Now, what does that mean? It's talking about in in the matter of, of sexual immorality. What he's talking about is men and women. I think he's primarily talking to men here, taking advantage of a brother where his wife is concerned. It's not good. It's unholy. Amen. Then he says this. He says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Paul talked about these things. Well, if Paul talked about them, we need to talk about them. No one should take advantage of his brother or defraud his brother in this matter. You know, when it comes to adultery, there is always someone who's injured. It's never without injury. It's never without hurt. And God doesn't like it. He said here, the Lord is the avenger of all of this. I kind of knew what this meant, but I looked it up today. What is an avenger? Well, to avenge means to take revenge for a perceived wrong. An avenger is someone who takes vengeance. Synonym here is retaliator. The Lord is someone who takes vengeance in these matters. If you were here at prayer Monday night, I talked about how that sometimes, you know, we we do our best in understanding the Bible, all Bible teachers and commentators and ministers. We do it, we do our best to learn from the scriptures what is sound doctrine. And we present our doctrine. Now we 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 believe that God is good. Thank God we found out that He's good. We found out that God is for you, that God is not uh, bringing tragedy tragedy into your life and God's not afflicting you with sickness and disease. We know that from the scriptures because Jesus went about doing good and healing everyone who was oppressed by the devil. Now, when you think of the fact that Jesus healed everyone who was oppressed of the devil, you think anybody was oppressed of the devil because of their, because of their own sin? Some were bound to be. They were bound to be. That had to be the case. And some of those people that Jesus healed, they were sick because of their disobedience. Jesus healed them. So we know it's the will of God that people be delivered. But on on Monday night, I was saying this. I said, you know, the problem is, is every now and then we find these scriptures that seem to be outliers. They don't seem to fit real nice into our our structured little doctrines that we have, or big doctrines and important doctrines. But sometimes you find a scripture that goes, I don't know how that fits. Because here it says the Lord is the avenger of people who 
transgress against their marriage partner. Well, how does that fit? And so what the, 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 the uh, temptation for Bible commentators is to explain things away. If they find a scripture that doesn't fit their narrative or what they believe they see in the Bible, then they explain it away. No, it just says what it says. It just says what it says. We, I can't always make everything fit. I just have to believe it. Amen. I remember Brother Hagin told this story one time of uh, when he was out on the road in field ministry and he came home off of the road and he wasn't home very often, but he was in his home church. I might've been during the holidays, I don't know, but he was in his home church. And when he was home, sometimes they would ask him to minister to the congregation. The pastor there would have him minister. And I don't know, the, I don't remember all the details of the story. I don't know if he preached that night, but he, he, he ministered to a couple in the church. And if I remember it right, it was a relative of his. I think it was a niece and her husband or a nephew and his wife. I think they were like a niece or nephew. And I don't know if he preached, but this, this uh, if I remember the story, I might have some of the details wrong. They had a baby that was either very sick or had died. I think the child perhaps had already died. And they were just heartbroken. They'd had this baby and it had died. So they wanted Brother Hagin to minister to them. And Brother Hagin stood before them and he said, the reason the baby died is because of venereal disease. And said to the husband, and you're the cause. Now, nobody knew in the church that he had had an affair and he had contracted this disease. And Brother Hagin stood before that whole congregation and had to tell the man, the reason your baby died is because of your sin. Now, do I believe God killed that baby? No, that father killed that baby. His sin killed that baby. Brother Hagin then said, so you think you want to be a prophet? <laughs> it's not easy to stand before your home church and even your own kinfolk and tell them the truth. But we, we need to know these things. This is part of the big picture. Well, amen. It's serious. Our sanctification and holy living is important. And when we violate things like this, they're so serious that unless we repent, see, that's what had happened. That man was hiding it. He didn't want anybody to know and he hadn't repented. He, he thought he was getting away with his sin, but he didn't. Well, if we don't repent of things, then judgment can come. He goes on to say, for God did not call us, verse seven, to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. Well, God has called us to holiness. That's the will of God for your life. Amen. And in the same book here in the fifth chapter, uh, he says in verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, I don't know why these are all in different verses, but they are. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <clears throat> so here we have, we know this is the will of God and that is that we should pray, that we should always be praying, that we should be people of prayer. 
We should be, I'm gonna say that again. We should be people of prayer. That's the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Well, how about start praying about it? Get into the Bible and become a person of prayer. You'll be amazed at how much you'll know about the will of God. The will of God is that we be a person of prayer, not just pray when we come to church, not just pray when we give thanks over the food, not when we tuck our children in, in, in at night, but pray always. And then rejoice always. God wants us to be a happy people, a, 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 an exuberant Christian. He wants us to be full of life and to give thanks in everything that happens. And no matter what comes in life, no matter what happens, no matter what befalls you, no matter what is going on in everything, give thanks. He didn't say give thanks for everything that happens because not everything that happens is the will of God. But he did say in everything, give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God. See, when, you're, when you maintain an attitude of thanksgiving as you're living a holy life, being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and full of the, uh, of the blessing of God on your life, when you follow that up by praying and giving thanks and, being, uh, and rejoicing and being exuberant, can you, can you see how the will of God could easily be revealed to you, how God could easily communicate with you? Hallelujah. We know that healing is the will of God. Third John, we don't have to turn there. Almost all of you know this. He said, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health. Well, prosperity and health are the will of God. So you don't have to pray whether God wants you to prosper. You don't have to pray when, when, you, when you have a, a financial need in your life or you have a medical or, or health problem in your life. You don't have to pray, Lord, heal me if it be your will. We know it's his will because he told us in the Bible it's his will. See, a lot of Christians, or this is what I meant by what I said earlier, a lot of Christians pray unnecessarily about things and they don't get any answers because the answer's in the Bible. See, when we're asking Lord, the Lord, oh Lord, show me your will, show me your will, heal me if it's your will. We're carrying his will right here next to us. And he's saying, open the book, dummy. Open the book. Get your mind renewed like I was talking about with the word of God. Clears up a lot of things. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. We know that victory in life is the will of God. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Ooh, glory to God, abundant life. This is the victory, John said. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So we know it's God's plan for us to have victory in life. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and we'll find out something else that's the will of God for you. Amen. I, I know I'm talking to the choir tonight because most of you know this, but maybe some of you don't. The will of God for you is that you be in a church. Be, the member, be a member in a church. Be a part of a church is the will of God for you. 
There is no provision in the New Testament for Christians to be living perpetually outside of the local church. No provision for that in the New Testament at all. It doesn't even exist. That concept is not even in the New Testament. And there are a lot of Christians today, that, and they just sort of float you know, from place to place, they don't really go to any one church. They're not really a part of any, any church. That's not the will of God. Notice what it said in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Talking about the physical body as, a, as, as an illustration of the spiritual body. He said in verse 25. Now let's look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And then verse 25, the members should have the same care for one another. Now, a lot of people look at verse 27. They say, well, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm part of the body of Christ. I really don't need to be a part of a local church. That could not be what he was talking about. Because in the, in the first century, when people heard the word church, they automatically thought of the local church. The concept of the universal church was, was, a, was a valid biblical concept and it's in the New Testament, but it was a secondary, con- their most fundamental understanding of the church was the local church. And you know here this is talking about the local church because he says the member should have the same care for one another. Well, if you're not a part of a local church, you're not caring for anybody in the church. Just like your physical body is the members of your physical body is is your 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 brain cares about what happens when that hammer hits your thumb isn't that right your whole body goes into reaction your whole body comes to the aid to that injured thumb and in the same way we are to minister to one another and care for one another well you can't do that outside of the local church You can't. You can say you can, but it's not true. Amen. We are members of one another. Go with me to uh, Colossians 3. I'm going to try to move on real quickly and and finish this. I've got one other point that's related to this. Colossians 3. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. God calls us as individual Christians, he calls us to a particular church. Now, if someone, someone is, has recently moved into a community, they might not know exactly where they're supposed to go to church. And so for a a brief period of time, you know, you can be sort of in between churches. But like I said before, there is no provision in the New Testament for Christians to be uh, perpetually unattached to a local church. Amen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and not seven bodies, not this church and that church. This church. There are a lot of people who float from one place to another. 
you know, wherever somebody's having a guest speaker, wherever something's going on, and I'm not talking about people who show up for, for, for uh, water baptism. We understand that. It's perfectly all right with that. But when, you, but when you're free from this, you go back to your own church. Isn't that right? Amen. He said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Well, where is that peace threatened? Very often it's threatened at church. I said, very often the peace of God is threatened at church because you have to put up with those people sitting next to you. (laughs) And sometimes they can rob you of your peace if you let it. No one's ever not heard of that, I suppose. No. (laughs) (laughs) To which you were also called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful for where God put you. I said, be thankful for where God put you. He put you where he put you for a purpose. It's part of his will for your life. Amen. And so there are things, you know, you don't have to pray whether, whether the Lord wants you to be a part of a local church. You just know that he does. And then go, I'll finish this. The next point is very closely related to this. Go to, to uh, uh, Galatians 5 and look at verse number 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. I know in the the early days of the charismatic movement, you know, when God was moving and people were kind of getting shuffled around, there were people that's, you know, if you tried to to present any idea that people need to be in a local church, people say, oh, now, brother, I have liberty in Christ. Well, he said, don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Well, where do you serve one another? Fundamentally and primarily in the local church. Now, there are other opportunities to serve people. We know that. But where would God most want you to serve is in the body that he made you a part of. I mean, I want my, when I get out of bed in the morning, I'm counting on my feet to serve me. Isn't that right? We are counting on one another to serve one another. We're counting on the part that God has given you. Everybody else is counting on you to supply that part. That doesn't happen outside the local church. Amen. Go with me finally. This will be my final passage. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. And this kind of ties in with what I was talking about this morning about our gifts and our abilities, our, our talents. You know, in Matthew 25, I pointed out when Jesus talked about the, to the one man, he was given five talents, another man was given two talents, another man was given one talent. And then he said when the Lord returned from, from his journey, he uh, called these three servants to give an account of what they had done with these talents. And I pointed out the fact that the Greek word talent originally in the Greek, even before the New Testament was written, originally it meant it was a, it was a weight, a certain particular weight. I don't remember what the, how much it weighed, but it was a, a talent was a certain weight. And then by the time the New Testament was written, that, that, that word represented a particular uh, weight of coin, like a gold talent was worth so much and a silver talent was worth so much because gold's worth more than silver. But so it was referred to either gold or silver coins of a particular weight and they had a value assigned to them. Now that was the meaning of talents. 
Today, when we think about our talents in the sense of, you know, you have, a, you have the talent of speaking or you have the talent of singing, you have the talent of organization or helping whatever your gifts and abilities are, we think of that as talents. That understanding that, that we have of talents came from the scripture. According to the Oxford Dictionary, I was just reading this last night, I didn't know this. According to the Oxford Dictionary, it wasn't until like 1671 or something, a, a particular notable writer used the talent story from Matthew 25 and applied that to our own abilities and gifts that God gives us. And from that From that author, when he wrote that, it sort of caught traction. And over time, that became our modern understanding of talents. Came from the scripture. Well, here in in 1 Peter 4, as verse number 10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. Well, where would that be outside the local church? You, you wouldn't refer to, to people on the job as one another. He's talking about believers. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Going on in the same, uh, in the same thought, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The final point here is it's the will of God not only for you to be a member of a local church, it's the will of God for you to be involved. Bringing your gifts, bringing your talents, bringing your supply into the church and ministering what God has given you, making that available to the body of Christ. The most unfulfilled Christians in life are Christians who come to churches and, and come year in and year out and they never do anything. Now their flesh can get real comfortable with that. But in their heart, they're not fulfilled because God made us a part of a body and he gave us a part to fulfill and you are never fulfilled as a Christian until you start contributing what God's put in you. And then we noticed this morning that one day we're all gonna give an account of ourselves for the things done in the body. Now, primarily, when that scripture reads, you know, we'll give account of ourselves for things done in the body, from the context there, it's primarily talking about in your physical body. In other words, when you were in the flesh. You're going to give an account for the things that you've done while in the flesh. But I think it was, I think it was Liz, Lizzie, uh, uh, years ago, she brought this to my attention. I never thought about this before. She said, couldn't that apply to the body of Christ? You remember that, Lizzie, telling me that? And it could be could very much apply. We're going to give an account to God for the things done in this body. In the body that God's called you to. Well, praise the Lord. Well, don't get condemned over it. Get happy. Because whatever your your practice is, you can do better. You can make corrections. Today is the day of correction. Today is the day of grace and the day of help. And God's calling you up. Glory to God. Don't wait until you stand before him and you're tongue-tied because none of your excuses are gonna amount to a hill of beans on that day.
Amen? Because God knows the truth and you know the truth. We all do, don't we? So get it right now. Praise the Lord. Amen? Glory to God. Father, we thank you today for your goodness, your blessing, and your help in our lives. Glory to God. Oh, Father, we're grateful for your will being revealed to us. We're not in the dark when it comes to your will for our lives. You've made so much available. Oh, hallelujah. You know, it just, it just this thought just came to me. I believe it was the Lord. If you get busy doing the things that the Bible tells you is his will, the other things in life will fall into place. God's will for your home, God's will for your, for your business, God's will for your retirement, God's will for your, for your social life, God's will for everything else in your life will fall into place when you, when, you, when you start submitting to his will in areas that you know that the Bible already teaches you. And the flip side of that is if you're denying the Lord and not doing what you know his will to do, then why is the Lord obligated to show you anything else? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Be encouraged. You can change. Things can improve. Life is getting better. We're all growing. Amen. Grow with us. Amen. Glory to God. Father, we thank you tonight for your blessing, your help, your mercy, as we said, Lord. Glory to God. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are revealing your plan, that none of us are here by accident. None of us are without a cause, a purpose. You put each one of us here, Father, to satisfy your heart. We were were created for your pleasure. We were created to serve you. We were created to do your work. And then you gave us abilities. You gave us giftings, graces deposited in our lives so that we could take those things and, and, and put them to work and see progress so that when we stand before you, we could look and say, look, Lord, this is what you gave me and look what I've brought with me. Oh, glory to God. Look at the fruit that I've brought. And we offer that up to God. We offer that up to you, Lord. Glory to God. And we hear those those wonderful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Glory to God. Father, we look for that day. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.